Well, good morning. Uh, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful day in, in Oklahoma, and I'm talking to a man in Colorado, and he tells me there's a wonderful day happening in uh, Colorado. God is good. God is good all the time. Somebody usually repeats to me, and that is true. And we're praying for rain in Oklahoma, and we've got some in the forecast, and I understand Colorado's got snow in the forecast. Yes, so uh, those are those are good things, and uh, God is good. We're living in crazy times. I think most people would agree that there's all kinds of things going on. I'm talking today to Dr. J. B. Hickson, and he has a ministry, an outstanding ministry. He's a pastor, a theologian, he's a teacher, he's a, a writer. And so many things, and I appreciate him taking time out of his schedule today to talk to us somewhat about that very thing of how Christians ought to be involved in these days and hours of which, which we live. His current work, in fact, volume one is, is available, volume one, Spirit of the Antichrist, and um, the subtitle, the gathering cloud of deception. So I've asked him today to come on to my podcast and talk about this whole thing, deception. We are, uh, it, and it's not new. In fact, we've had the spirit of the Antichrist for 2,000 years. And I'm going to ask him to talk us some about the deception, about the Luciferian conspiracy, and about his book, Volume 1, and volume two, which comes out next Monday, you'll be able to get volume two. It's also a video series, and uh, I'm going to post information how you can can watch Dr. Hickson on a regular basis. I promise you, you'll be blessed. When I read the book, my eyes were open to some new things. I've been a journalist, a bivocational Baptist preacher journalist. So I've got two uh, professions that are that are always got a question mark over them. But at any rate, I, I have I have realized the value of learning new things about old things or old things about new things. And so today I've asked uh, Dr. Hickson to talk a little bit, tell us a little bit about himself, his ministry, his books, volume one and volume two and the the series and anything else that he wants to talk about, but I want to I want him to address one of my main takeaways after reading Spirit of the Antichrist about Christians, how the day and the hour in which we live, we need to be aware, we need to be alert, and we need to be praying, but we also need to be doing some things. So, Dr. Hickson, welcome. Uh, just take off. Well, Don, it is so great to be with you here on uh, your podcast and uh, really appreciate the opportunity. We love our friends there in uh, Tulsa and uh, Sepulpa in that area. I've been doing a conference there uh, with Philip Goodman, the Mid-America Prophecy Conference for several years now, five or six years, and always enjoy uh, visiting with you folks. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, really excited about this uh, two-volume series. You know, volume one, Spirit of the Antichrist, came out March 21st. And by God's grace, it just uh, really took off, which is exactly what we were hoping and praying for. We really think the message in this uh, series is the most important thing I've ever written about. And um, this is my uh, 10th and 11 
Uh, these are my 10th and 11th books and, uh, you know, written about a variety of different theological topics. But in, in such a time as this, I believe we need Christians to be aware of uh, what is happening right under our noses. And so uh, you're right. You know, you talked about the deception, and that's what volume one is really all about. Uh, but uh, many Christians are absolutely oblivious and asleep at the wheel. And that that's a you know, great concern. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us, uh, you brethren are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of the light and not sons of the day. I'm sorry, sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Now listen, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And so uh, a real key theme of this uh, first volume, really both volumes, but especially the first volume, is what I call the gathering cloud of deception. And so uh, folks uh, can go to spiritoftheantichrist.org spiritoftheantichrist.org, and they can kind of get a sneak peek at both volumes. Um, again, volume one is on sale now. Volume two hits uh, the market on Monday, and you'll be able to buy it uh, directly from that website as well, spiritoftheantichrist.org. But if I may, let me kind of walk our listeners through the general premise and the biblical basis for what uh, uh, we talk about in the book, and that is the Luciferian conspiracy. Uh, now, you know, a lot of people get a little uneasy when you talk about conspiracy because the government has kind of co-opted that word. In fact, I talk about in the first volume, there's a chapter in there where I talk about the conspiracy theory conspiracy, and I document uh, the origin of that phrase, and I show how that phrase goes all the way back to the 1960s and the CIA. We've got declassified documents that expose this and how they created that term in an attempt to discredit those that were challenging the official narrative of the JFK assassination. You know, the Warren Commission uh, hastily threw together a, a, a explanation or a report about the assassination of John F. Kennedy that was full of holes, patently false, uh, violated all sorts of rules of logic and science and physics. And many people quickly recognized that there was something afoul and uh, so they were gaining steam. There were people writing books and going on news programs, and the truth was getting out, and the CIA uh, was tasked with finding a way to discredit uh, those truth seekers. And so they decided to weaponize this phrase, con uh, conspiracy theory, and it worked. And so here we are some you know, 40 to 50 years later, and when people hear that term, conspiracy theorist, they automatically assume that uh, the, you know that that it's a negative term that it's it's an it's a personal attack it's a criticism. So, for example, if if you say something that someone doesn't agree with, they'll say, "Oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist." Well, uh, you know, I I re like to remind people that when they do that, they're actually uh, victims themselves of a uh, you know mimetic device that the uh, CIA created, and it's been written about in academic journals. The whole concept uh, by Kaz Sunstein has been kind of talked about in books and academic writings, where you use a phrase to kind of discredit someone without even uh, talking about the facts of the matter. And as someone has said, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but no one is entitled to their own facts. And so we want to keep it about the facts. And when you look at the facts, you'll find out that 
you know, things are, are very seldom as they appear. There, there's often an agenda uh, behind it. But uh, Cass Sunstein, who served in the Obama administration, very famous academician. Uh, he is or, or maybe was. I'm pretty sure they're still married, married to Samantha Powers, who was a U.S. Uh, representative to the U.N., the ambassador to the U.N. So very high level, uh, you know, uh, politician and bureaucrat and very embedded deep within the Luciferian conspiracy. And he's famous, by the way, for the nudge theory. Um, the nudge theory is a way of trying to get people to come along to your viewpoint by just subtly, you know, writing about it, planting news stories. And by the way, I, I, I believe now we've gone way past the nudge into the push and we're best basically into the shove uh, aspect of convincing people to, to come along. You know, if they don't, you know, if they don't, uh, if you don't do what they say, they'll find a way to coerce you into doing it. But uh, anyway, so let's talk about the Luciferian conspiracy, a conspiracy by definition is just two or more people working together to, to commit a crime or to perform some nefarious action. And the Bible speaks about the greatest conspiracy of all, and that is the conspiracy between Satan, demons, and human agents, his human co-conspirators or human accomplices, to take over the world. And we read about this, for example, in Psalm 2, where David talks about how the kings of the earth and the rulers of the earth are all conspiring together. He uses the Hebrew phrase, take counsel. They're taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that's Christ. And what are they saying? They're saying, let us break their bonds and cast away their cords. Their meaning uh, the Godhead in, in the New King James, which is my uh, preference. Uh, it's capitalized, their bonds and their cords. He's talking about this conspiracy between the rulers of the earth at the behest of Satan, who are trying to cast off God's sovereign control and take control of the world for themselves. And so that has always been Satan's plan That's ever since he got kicked out of heaven. I think anybody that reads the Bible in a plain, normal sense recognizes that for 6,000 years there has been a cosmic spiritual battle between the forces of, of good, namely God, the creator of the universe, and the forces of evil, Satan, Lucifer, the fallen angel, and one-third of the angels that fell with him and became demons. And so this battle, I don't think, gets talked about enough. It's clearly taught in Scripture. And by the way, guys like you and me, Don, that are interested in the study of the end times and are passionate about that study, uh, we often forget that underlying that whole premise of God's end times plan of the ages is the culmination of this unseen spiritual battle between God and Satan. So to me, I've always been interested in the end times. My, my grandfather was a Bible preacher, and, and my dad's a, a godly man. My parents are both Christians. And so early on, I developed an interest in the study of the end times. And you know, I was reading some of the great uh, writers about the end times, like uh, Hal Lindsey and John Walbert and uh, Dwight Pentecost and uh, many others. And and so uh, then the Lord allowed me to, to go to, to Dallas Seminary, and I kind of continued to uh, uh, learn more and grow. And so it's been a passion of mine for most of my life and for almost 35 years of ministry now. And what I have come to realize over the last 15 years is that there is a rapidly advancing agenda 
on the dark side, on the side of Satan and his co-conspirators, to usher in a one-world political, religious, and economic system that will uh, you know, be in place for the Antichrist to take the helm of it during that seven-year uh, tribulation period. So in a nutshell, that's what the book is about. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 4 that even though one Antichrist, capital A, is coming, who will try to rule the world at the behest of Satan, will rule the world at the behest of Satan for seven years, many Antichrists have come, little a, and the spirit of the Antichrist, capital A, is already at work among us. And so that's where the title of the book series comes from, Spirit of the Antichrist. And it just occurred to me, if if the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work and we're getting closer and closer to the rapture, that we ought to see uh, a ton of evidence of manifestations, if you will, of this Antichrist spirit. The things that will characterize him when he rules the world should be flaring up, and we should see an upsurge in that. And boy, oh boy, do we, as I really started studying and researching it. So these two books are the culmination of 15 years of study. And as you say, it it really touches on a lot of areas that most believers have never even considered. Uh, so yeah, that's a kind of a long introduction, but that's that's an overview of the books and and uh, kind of where we're uh, where we're headed with them. Right. Well, tell us in in that in that realm. And I was at a uh, my niece came to visit, and we took her around to show her some Oklahoma sites and. Of course, we have to go see Will Rogers Museum and those kinds of things. And uh, so we took her to the Oklahoma City Memorial and uh, a very moving thing. I've taken several people there. It's a, it's a moving thing. I think I've read somewhere where you have visited that site. Mm-hmm. And we have the, the Ruby Ridges and all these other things that have, have happened. It was amazing to me at at even our memorial, as a great memorial, I recommend everybody go go and visit there. But even at that memorial, this this thing of agenda uh, come about, and they do a little thing in there. They talk about the uh, Timothy McVeigh and how he was driven and so forth. And then they almost question those that are visiting the memorial to make that they indicate that you've got to be careful or you'll get you'll get caught up in in some of these things so anyway christians have a uh you know we're at the midterm elections and and everybody is is addressing the christian but one of the big things and again the takeaway my takeaway in the book was when you told christians uh, that we need to be awake. Tell us what we what we can do. I know we need to vote right. We need to uh, do some things, uh, say some things, and exercise our freedoms. But tell us some of the dangers of what we say and do, and and how we ought to be alert and awake. Well, yes. Uh, um, so before I do that, I'd like to comment on the Oklahoma City uh, thing. Uh, I visited there too. I've also visited Ruby Ridge. I visited you know, 50 or more different places that are relevant to the Luciferian conspiracy. Like I said, we, we, we went deep into this over the last 15 years and uh, did a lot of research. I actually talked to one of the guards at uh, the Oklahoma City Memorial and uh, kind of told him that I was there doing some research. And he openly, he didn't want me to use his name, but he openly admitted that nobody buys the official story. And indeed, I encourage folks to 
to never buy the official story uh, because most of the time it's not true. And uh, a good documentary, and I do talk about the Oklahoma City bombing and the truth about it in volume one, but uh, a good documentary is called A Noble Lie. Uh, people can probably find that on Amazon. It's a, we have the DVD, but it kind of goes through the facts of the matter. And it's amazing how blatant the lies are. I mean, as the event was happening and we were watching it live on television, people were watching the bomb squad carrying bombs out and being interviewed by local television reporters who were saying, yeah, there were multiple bombs in there. There was one here. There was one here. We got this one before it detonated. And, you know, eyewitnesses were talking about, you know, the bombs in the building. And yet, you know, when all was said and done, they pinned it on the typical lone wolf in a rider truck and fertilizer bomb. And scientists have proven, you know, undeniably that the, the fertilizer bomb parked on the curb in front of a building could never have caused the damage uh, that we see in the building there. So, uh, but to talking about deception, before I kind of answer your question about how to avoid deception, uh, that case of the Oklahoma City bombing is a quintessential example of uh, the, this spirit of deception, or what I call in the book, the spirit of pretense, because prior to the Oklahoma City bombing, and this, if people don't know this, you're going to find it almost impossible to believe, but I encourage you to look it up on Amazon. You can still buy the book today. But if folks will remember, uh, the governor of Oklahoma at the time was Frank Keating. And right. uh, he, by the way, has had only been in office as governor a few months. He had had been a former FBI agent and a high-ranking official in the Department of Justice under the Reagan and Bush administration, so a deep insider. But anyway, he was the governor of Oklahoma. Well, can you imagine uh, this, that the Governor Frank Keating's brother, uh, whose name is Martin Keating, yes. whose resume also includes working for all sorts of you know uh, government agencies, he had finished writing a novel entitled The Final Jihad about domestic terrorism and prior to, it was already in the hands of the publishers. It didn't get released until a few months later, but it was already done and in the hands of the publishers. And the plot of his novel, it was a novel, was uh, domestic, a lone wolf domestic terrorist named uh, Tom McVeigh. <laughs> blows up a federal building in Oklahoma City and is captured during a routine traffic stop by an Oklahoma State trooper because he had a broken taillight. Now, I mean, the, the, odd, the odds of that being a coincidence are a billion to one, because right. according to the official story, it was a Timothy McVeigh who blows up a federal building in Oklahoma City and is apprehended during a routine traffic stop by an Oklahoma State trooper for having a broken taillight. So, uh, and the mainstream media picked up on it, and they, of course, all talked about what an amazing coincidence it was. Um, but I just uh, want to challenge believers, especially, who are, are told to test the spirits and told to study and not just buy hook, line, and sinker everything we're told, because Satan is a powerful, powerful deceiver. He's a Jesus said he was a he's a liar. Everything he speaks is a lie. That's the only thing he knows how to speak. Um, and his, his MO is to deceive the world. And someday after the church is called home to meet the Lord in the air, he's going to deceive the whole world into taking the mark of the beast. By the way, I'm speaking in, in the new book. I have a whole section on, uh, uh, digital bank, uh, 
uh, I mean, uh, central bank digital currency, CBDCs, and how they're going to be used to usher in a totalitarian control system. Uh, so I encourage you to check that out. But I'm going to be speaking on CBDCs October 30th in Denver at an event sponsored by one of the stand-up uh, groups, uh, which are kind of patriot groups. And uh, I'll have that video posted. We're not going to be able to live stream it because I'm just one speaker among a couple there, but um, I am going to record it and we'll post that. So you can look forward to that at uh, the end of the month. But what can we do about this deception? Um, and what can we do to combat the forces of evil? Well, first of all, I absolutely believe we ought to fight to the last breath. Uh, we should never roll over. Uh, we should never wave the white flag of surrender. Uh, we can't move to a mountaintop, live in a cave, and, and sing kumbaya until Jesus comes. You know, God has a job for us to do. We're here for a reason. The church has a purpose. We're to be sharing the gospel with everyone we can. And, uh, you know, all of my books, but especially these last two, we very clearly present the gospel because I know a lot of unbelievers are waking up to yes. the reality of the Luciferian conspiracy. They may not recognize it's a Luciferian conspiracy. They may call it the deep state or the global elite or some other power structure. They may still be locked into this false left-right paradigm that we talk about in one of the chapters in the first volume. Uh, but still, they, they know that something's amiss, that they've been lied to. Uh, especially after the 2020 election. They know they've been lied to. And so a lot of people may not know the Lord, but they're sort of waking up. And so we've uh, found that uh, a lot of these books are, volume one anyway, has ended up in the hands of unbelievers. And as they read through it and they begin to connect the dots and they hear the gospel, remember Paul said it's the gospel that's the power of God to salvation. It's not our job to convince people to get saved or argue them into the faith. We just want to present the gospel clearly, accurately, and urgently, and let the Spirit of God do His work. And I think a lot of people are hearing the gospel. We assume that many are coming to faith. We've heard stories of relatives of people that have come to faith through the book. So both books have an epilogue at the back that plainly tells the gospel, but as well throughout the books, I touch on the gospel in passing when it's appropriate. But, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, voting, and I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here, but the new book has an entire chapter on fake elections. And I've been uh, blowing the whistle about this for 15 years. Uh, I've actually, you know, gotten crossways with some of my conservative colleagues at times at conferences because I've kind of laid out the facts. I was talking about, you know, digital voter tabulations, online systems and Dominion and companies like that for many years. So I'm thankful that many believers have woken up. Uh, but Don, nothing's changed. You know, they have not solved the problem of the digital voter tabulations. And as I state in the book, I give a history of voter tabulation techniques uh, in the United States. And I talk about uh, case studies and lawsuits and things that, for example, I talk about the 2004 election, one of many stolen elections. 2000 was stolen. 2016 was stolen, by the way. Uh, 20, uh, you know, I mean, 20, uh, let's see, 2012 was clearly stolen, Obama, Romney. Um, they're all stolen because they're not elections, they're selections. And the Luciferian yeah. elites have controlled the, you know, the, the candidates for, uh, you know, for decades. And of course, even before digital technology, there was voter fraud. But back in the day, voter fraud amounted to, you know, getting some, you know, real uh, uh, 
big and strong and bully looking mafia members to go intimidate people into voting one way or another. Uh, today, it's so much easier to throw elections because you, you just need an 18 year old scrawny whiz kid that you can pay $10,000 to to make a few keystrokes on his computer. And just like that, the outcome of the election is, is changed. So when, the minute they went to digital voting, it meant that our vote no longer matters. So people can continue to vote and do the same thing that they've done. But the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing and expecting a different results. They have not changed the voter tabulation machines. It's all still digital. They may have changed ownership, used a different technique. But when you go into that voting booth and vote, you no longer have access to your vote. You can't touch it. You can't see it. It shows up as a dot or a dash on a server somewhere. And then you just have to wait for somebody, the powers that be, to tell you who won. And you have no way to prove it. If they can hack into the NSA servers, they can hack into the election servers. I promise you that. So, uh, you know, I encourage people, if you believe that in your setting and your situation and your city or state or municipality, if you believe that your vote counts, you absolutely ought to vote. Uh, that's our duty. But if you ha have become uh, aware or convinced that the system is rigged, then there's no reason to go through the foolish notion of pretending to vote when you know that they control it. So remember what to Stalin said, I care not who casts the vote. I just care who counts the votes. That's all that matters. So I would encourage people to read that chapter in volume two, come to their own conclusion. I don't you know, I tell people that's between them and the Lord uh, who they vote for and whether they vote. Uh, it depends on your situation. But uh, I can tell you that in the coming uh, election in 24, uh, if the Luciferians get their way, and there's no guarantee they will, because remember, the ultimate arbiter of the timetable is God. Amen. Amen. I mean, he's the one that sets the plans and so forth. But I have a chapter in the new book on called the Luciferian timetable, where I lay out in their own words what their plans are. And they have been targeting the 2025 to 2030 time frame for more than a century. So we know that's what they're targeting. They're rolling. That's why they rolled out the pandemic. That's why they rolled out the, uh, you know, a lot of these other uh, globalist agendas, the digital currencies. I read uh, something just this week that. There are some experts at the International Bank of Settlements and all of the European central banks and the other national central banks around the world that they're wanting to roll out the central bank digital currency by December 13th of this year. Now, that seems unfathomable to me, but it wouldn't take much. All it's going to take is an economic, a global economic crash, and then people will be begging to be rescued. And they'll say, OK, well, here's the deal. We're going to do away. We're going to completely re-engineer the entire monetary system of the globe, do away with physical money of any kind, and everyone's going to have a trackable identity. And that is what they're going to use then to either give you credits or debits. They'll have expiration dates. They can entice you to do things, you know, just like they enticed people to take the injections by giving them lottery tickets and marijuana and all kinds of other stuff. They'll entice you to sign up for the CBDCs and then, uh, as Catherine Austin Fitz has explained, and I go into this in volume two, uh, once, once you've done that, they can tell you where you can purchase things, when you can purchase things, where you can travel. They can turn you on and off. It's, it's going to be a whole different world. So 
you know, I think as we get closer to the end, unless God intervenes, which he may very well do, um, Christians need to be prepared to go off the grid, to find some other means of bartering, whether that's commodities or just service for service. You know, you might, um, you know, plow someone's garden in exchange for them fixing your refrigerator or something like that, you know, but people need to have uh, to be thinking ahead about what if the whole system changes and I don't want to be a part of the, the totalitarian global tracking system, what can I do? Um, as far as how to be deceived, I think we've got to know the truth. You know, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, you got to recognize a lie, not by memorizing and identifying every conceivable lie, because there's no limit to how many lies there can be. Yeah, that's right. But if you know the truth, you'll recognize a lie instantly. And in uh, volume one, in the last chapter, the next to the last chapter, uh, I have uh, a whole chapter entitled Avoiding Deception. And I go in there, go, go through there, uh, the five steps in Satan's MO for deception. And it, I think knowing those, knowing his MO helps us identify it more quickly when we see us being fed a lie. Uh, in a practical sense, I would encourage people you know, never believe the mainstream media. They're all completely controlled. We talk about Operation Mockingbird. We have a whole chapter on that as well. Yeah. False um, so flags. Yeah. False flags, the Hegelian dialectic, uh, the, the controlled opposition. You know, people get so wrapped up in that. And I, I have people all the time when I speak at conferences that, you know, call me or connect with me somehow and say, you mean, you know, Tucker Carlson's not a good guy? And I, look, it's not about good guy, bad guy. It's about control. And I agree with a lot of what guys like Tucker say. I mean, I even a broken clock's right twice a day. So it's not about are they good or bad, right or wrong. It's about understanding the system is rigged and they want us fixating on this left right paradigm so that as we see happening right now with the midterms coming up, just what, 50 or 20 something days away, 20 days, yeah, yeah, three weeks away. Uh, people can begin to think, oh, if I can just throw the rascals out and put the good guys in there, you know, we'll be better off. Well, I mean, all it takes is a simple knowledge of recent history to yes. show that that doesn't work. I mean, we've had multiple occasions in my lifetime uh, where the, the Republicans, you know, the good guys have controlled the White House, the Senate, the Congress, a veto, you know, a, a filibuster-proof Congress, and had a majority of, of Republican appointees on the Supreme Court, and yet nothing ever changes. And by the way, if, if people think that the recent Dobbs decision on Roe v. Wade on June 24th was a good thing, you've been deceived. And you need to read my book. In the second volume, I have a whole treatment and, and explain why that is an absolutely horrific decision, according to which the Supreme Court declared emphatically that unborn children have zero constitutional rights. That's what that decision said. Mm -hmm. uh, the unborn have no constitutional rights, because if they had constitutional rights, like the 10th and 14th Amendments, the right to life, for example, they wouldn't be able to defer to the states. According to the 14th Amendment, the states can only do things that the Constitution is silent about. So the, the Supreme Court ruled unborn children have no rights. You can decide for yourself whether to kill them. And so basically that decision was a geographical one where the United States Supreme Court decided where you can kill your baby. 
and yeah. uh and and that and now it's crystallized forever there's no no on the unborn have no voice with the constitution anymore they can't claim i'm a human being i deserve the right to life because the united states supreme court said nope it's totally up in the air we don't really know so we're going to let the states decide and of course if we know anything about depravity over time depravity gets worse and worse. So sure, there may be a few states today that like Texas or Florida or South Dakota that are saying you can't kill your baby and praise God for that. But over time, you know, they will change if the Lord tarries is coming. Uh, talking about time, time is, is rapidly another, another takeaway of your work. I, I see, I became very aware of how fast, uh, things are happening that's this very current thing of the a new prime minister of the united kingdom gone gone just 44 days in office as a his these things are making these are historic kinds yeah. of events that are happening who would have ever thought i mean we, we have so many things uh people buy into the lie really fast this thing of of people taking a vaccine that's not a vaccine called a vaccine, but it's not a vaccine. It's not, it's, it's inefficient. It's ineffective. It's a moneymaker for it's the dangerous. And so it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. So those kinds of things, but I, I don't want our listeners to, to lose hope because we do know that, that there is a, there is a schedule. There is a plan uh, beyond Satan's plan, Bill Gates buying up all the farmland. One of the things I started saying, this is a good, I, I use this quote a lot because it's almost an Oklahoman uh, Native American. We, we, we need to call them uh, American Indians would be better than talking about Native American. I'm a Native American, you know. So anyway, but the Native American who said, uh, I think he was, uh, is attributed to an Indian chief probably a Cherokee or a Creek. We're in the Creek Nation here in Sepulpa and in Tulsa. We're part of the uh, Muscogee Creek Nation. But anyway, they, the, the old chief said, one thing to remember is that the right wing and the left wing is on the same bird. Amen. So, I love that. <laughs> so we, we've got to keep things in perspective. And in our sovereignty of God, I, I am I'm concerned about some of the things that's coming out of the church and and almost a a kind of lackadaisical type thing. Well, we we can we know God's we don't have to be told that God's in control, but we're participate participants in God's God's work, and that's that's clear as you bring out in your ministry. Uh, tell tell me just a little bit, and I know we're we're uh, imposing on your your time schedule, but tell us just a little bit about uh, these current events, like the the vaccines, the uh, experts that are being listened to and, and many people buying into that we have better experts than the ones that's been presented to us on uh, CNN and so forth. And uh, we, we're probably listening to all the wrong experts. 
Yeah. I mean, chapter nine in volume one is the biggest chapter. It's over 50 pages. It is extremely detailed. It's called Vaccines and Big Pharma. Yes. I document uh, 16 smoking gun evidences that the pandemic was pre-planned 22 years ago, going back to Operation Dark Winter. Uh, I talk about um, how they, they rolled it out intentionally. It's clearly the actual COVID, vaccine, uh, COVID virus was a bioweapon, no question about it. It was engineered in the lab. Uh, I talk about how the they, we've never had and still don't have a vaccine for uh, COV, uh, uh, SARS-1, you know, the uh, uh, upper respiratory, severe acute respiratory syndrome 1, that's the SARS virus. Remember, COVID-19 is a SARS virus. It's SARS-2, SARS-CoV-2, they call it. Um, well, even though we never got one for, for the first SARS virus, somehow we were magically able to throw together a uh, quote experimental vaccine for SARS-CoV-2. Uh, it's not a vaccine. It's completely new technology. It's a uh, gene editing bioinjection. And the evidence is quite clear because the vaccine adverse event reporting system, which is run by the CDC and the FDA, people often forget that. They think somehow the, the VAERS system is an independent system. And so when you bring that up, I brought that up once to a, a friend of mine whose wife is a doctor. And he went back and talked to his wife and then he came back to me and he said, oh, she she said that VAERS system, you can't trust that. You know, it's it's a it's not trustworthy. Well, it's run by the CDC and the FDA. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say trust the CDC and the FDA about the vaccine, but don't trust them about all the adverse effects of the vaccine because they're both run and funded by the CDC and FDA. So anyway, the VAERS data is off the charts, uh, literally millions of adverse effects. It, the VAERS system, as I talk about in the book, started in the 90s, and we've had exponentially more reports of adverse effects from the uh, vaccine, the COVID vaccine, as they call it, uh, than from all other years combined. In other words, you add up every single adverse effect ever reported for any vaccine of any kind, and it's, it's you know, 10% of the total, some number, I don't know the number, exponentially less than what we've seen just in the two years since the COVID vaccines have come out. And then, of course, there's so many evidences that this is a hoax and that it's not about helping people, it's about hurting people, one of which is just in the last week, the FDA gave emergency youth author authorization, EUA, to Pfizer for a vaccine, a COVID vaccine for five-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you, Don, has there been an emergency of five-year-olds dying from COVID that I missed? Because last I heard, you can count on one hand the number of children that died from COVID. It, it, exactly it, right. If they even get it, it's nothing worse than a bad cold. COVID never targeted, according to the official narrative, children. Never. So why do we need five-year-olds to take a emergency vaccine for something that isn't even affecting them. It's just ludicrous. So I would encourage people to read that chapter. I can't do it justice, but it's well-researched and it's, uh, I give all the, the documentation. By the way, volume one has 38 pages of citations. Volume two, I, I can't remember. I think it's, it's over 50, quite a bit more. Volume two is bigger than volume one, more chapters, and it's a bigger book. Um, so we document everything. You can do your own research. I wouldn't just take my word for it. But, you know, I, I definitely think there was a lot more going on with this uh, rollout of the vaccine. It's never about what it's about. So the virus. I quote in that yeah. book, by the way, I, yeah. I, that is so if people grasp that 
that truth. We have been lied to mm-hmm. over and over and over, and we're still being lied to. And the focus on the book is these these lies are getting getting more to the forefront, which causes me to ask you this question: What? Why are the pulpits uh, so silent uh, about these things and roll over to the COVID thing so easily? What is happening? Wow, that's a great question. And I've addressed it uh, from various angles many times. Uh, David Fiorazzo uh, has the Stand Up for the Truth radio program. I'm on that once a month, and we've talked about it a couple different times. so I, I think there are multiple answers to that question. It's not, it's a cumulative effect. It's not one thing. Um, but I think the, the first place to begin is the general trend toward liberalism that has swept across Christianity in America for the last hundred years. Um, churches are denying the authority of scripture. They're denying inerrancy. They're denying the literal virgin birth, the literal deity of Christ, the literal miracles, a literal six day, 24 hour creation. Uh, young earth, all of the things that the church for, you know, 1800 years held firm because the Bible is not unclear on these things. It's very clear. And yet, you know, people have allowed reason to trump the Bible, emotion, reason, and logic. And so they'll say things like, well, the, you know, the uh, scientists tell us the earth is billions of years old and that we all evolved from a wet rock. So it must be true. And they've completely marginalize the scripture. So I think in general, even long before uh, the late stage rollout of the Luciferian agenda that we've seen in the last couple of decades, really starting with 9-11, I think even before that, churches were drifting away from the anchor of God's self-revelation to mankind. Um, Then I think uh, many, if I would say the vast majority I can't prove this, but this is my uh, sort of gut feeling. The vast majority of um, major evangelical personalities that achieve a high level of fame, mm-hmm. I think, are controlled. Uh, and I can prove some of them are, uh, but they're controlled. Uh, I take to task some of them in volume one in that chapter nine on the vaccine, uh, like Robert Jeffers out there uh, saying it's okay to use, you know, murdered babies to create a vaccine because, you know, after all, Jesus was murdered on a cross and that worked out good for the rest of us. So it's okay to murder your baby and then use those cells to create vaccines. He said that, I mean, that's, it's just, it's sickening to me. And I know Robert Jeffers, I've worked with him. I've shared the platform with him at conferences, but I don't respect him anymore unless he recants that statement because he also said that, uh, uh, Francis, uh, shoot, his name escapes me, but the guy that used to be the director of the NIH, National Institutes of Health, um, his name is in the book there. He, he's buddies with uh, Fauci. Fauci works directly for him or did. I think he resigned just recently after 20 plus years. Oh, I wish I could think of his name, Francis. It's, I can't remember if that's the first name or the last name, but listeners will email me and correct me or I can look it up in my book. But anyway, he, he praised him, said, oh, I know him and he's, he's good. Well, what do we know about him? Well, that guy uh, has been partnering with bill gates and anthony fauci to advance a you know uh, oh yeah yeah stuff all across the world in india and africa so i mean jeffers is either ignorant and undiscerning or he's controlled and uh, i just i and others major evangelical leaders they they the the evidence about the truth about this so-called vaccine you know and i and i cite in the book 
hundreds of thousands of doctors, scientists, virologists, pediatricians, surgeons, you name it, across the world are on record stating that this is a dangerous bioinjection, not a vaccine. So at this point, when someone like a major evangelical leader continues to push people to get the vaccine, they're either, and I mean this in the sense of the word, not as a personal attack, either stupid, meaning they just aren't intelligent enough to see the facts for themselves, or they're controlled. So I think that's another reason that churches are not standing up. So we've got liberalism, controlled leaders. Then we've got, I think, the fact that many, even conservative churches, were take have an exegetical mistake when it comes to understanding the Bible's teaching about the government's role and the church's role. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes. so the government used medical tyranny to get churches all across the, the world, really, but in, we'll just talk about America, to stop worshiping God on Easter Sunday for the first time since the era of Constantine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, some of them did that because it was unprecedented. We weren't sure what was going on. We were getting fed a lot of lies, and but very quickly realized, hey, there's something not right about this. And they, they thumbed their nose at the government and went back to worshiping God. But the government came in and told you when you could meet, whether you could meet, where you had to sit, what you could sing, what you had to wear, and began to completely impose tyrannical, you know, standards on the local church. And to this day, a a large number of churches who should know better are still bowing down and worshiping at the altar of the government. So, when you strip all that away, Don, I think we're left with a very small percentage of evangelical Bible-believing churches who are going to stand firm in the face of whatever comes next. Is the remnant a Bible prophecy uh, principle? Absolutely. I've talked about that many times, the remnant principle. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of creation, that God tends to move in the remnant not the majority. Now, it will eventually come full circle, and in the kingdom, we will see the majority once again worshiping God. Jeremiah the prophet tells us that at that time, everyone from the least of the greatest will know about God. Mm. But until then, we see this remnant principle. Go back to uh, Genesis 6 and and the flood. You know, was it the majority that were righteous, or was it a remnant? Mm. It was the remnant, the eight people in Noah's family. Um, you know, we see this again and again, um, you know, at when Christ went to the cross, there wasn't the majority of Jews that believed in him. He was pretty much alone. Um, and that's why I, when I taught, I taught full-time in academics for 12 years, and I taught uh, Bible theology and also some ministry skills courses. And one of those was leadership and used to talk about a definition of leadership. And I think a good definition of leadership is being willing to stand alone. You know, the, the world tells you, the great leaders are the ones with the most followers. So the people with the most YouTube subscribers or, you know, Twitter subscribers, man, those must be great leaders. And I'm here to tell you the greatest leader of all time, Jesus Christ, God's son and our savior hung alone on a cross with everybody abandoning him. So often when we find yourselves in the majority, you better ask yourself, did I jump on the wrong bandwagon? Yes. Very good. Well, we need to be, that, that's the other thing. We need to be cautious of, of who we follow. We need to check, check our sources. Uh, an old journalist 
principle, it's been thrown out the window now, is that we, we need to cite sources. I've got a, one of the things I do in my podcast is uh, I use the, the, the simple thing of that uh, I have something to say. I believe it to be true. I believe it to, to be right. But you need to research it for yourself. Yes. So that's kind of a, a theme I picked up out of out of reading your work as well. The the other thing, that, and and I'll we'll go on and kind of close out maybe with this because we'll come back. I'm anxious to read volume two and come back and do some follow up broadcast. Thank you so much for giving us so much time today. I, I trust people will take this. Let me let me ask you one final thing to kind of comment on because. I found out just recently, I tackled some online preacher friends that were, were reminding me that I needed to pray for my president. And I, I, I took, except that pray for, maybe I need to be praying against evil and not for evil. And I cited Bonhoeffer. And that, lo and behold, the kind of comments you get coming back, people People will even attack Bonhoeffer, <laughs> tell me how he was a liberal or, or something else. But the thing of it is, in the cost of discipleship, I try to I try to think about what Bonhoeffer was faced with and the Lutheran church in Germany. So we have some of that going on. Have you been canceled? Did anybody try to cancel you or limit your, your voice? Absolutely. I mean... Um... <clears throat> One of Bonhoeffer's most famous statements, of course, was silence in the face of evil is evil itself. And, um, you know, we we cite people all the time that say something that resonates and that is, you know, consistent with biblical truth. It doesn't mean we're endorsing everything they did or said. But the fact of the matter was history repeats itself. And what we're seeing now is, you know, the same thing that happened in World War II, where the church is silent and so wrapped up in this fake left-right paradigm, Republican, Democrat, you know, it's all about politics, and they're completely missing the point. And meanwhile, we are just marching, racing towards uh, this totalitarian one-world state, which, again, Christians should know better because the Bible teaches that. Unfortunately, many churches don't teach about the end times, so Christians don't know better. But uh, but yeah, we've been canceled. We were canceled from YouTube a couple of years ago during the pandemic. We had some 11 videos uh, that by as of today anyway have been canceled. We have not posted anything new to YouTube for two years because what would happen is you know, they would cancel one of my videos. And when they do that, they put you kind of in the penalty box for two weeks and you can't post anything. And YouTube at the time was our primary outlet for getting our videos out. And so it really posed a problem. So I would you know, wait two weeks and we'd start posting again and they'd cancel another one. And, you know, their policy is if they cancel, if they you know, remove one, one of your videos or your videos three times in a certain time span, then you're done. They take your entire channel down. We have, you know, tons and tons of videos going way back. Most of them are not about political events or current events. They're just, you know, Bible teaching and gospel teaching. And so we didn't want to lose our entire channel. I mean, I have all my videos backed up on an external hard drive, so I'm not worried about losing the videos. We just wanted to have that, the, that ministry out there. So we finally decided two years ago to 
stop using YouTube altogether. We left our channel up and all of our archived stuff is still there. But now we run everything through uh, our website. So you can get to all of our videos uh, at notbyworks.org. We do our podcasting from there, our weekly uh, devotionals and articles and our live streaming. We live stream uh, two or three times a week. All of that is a one-stop shop at notbyworks.org. But uh, yeah, I've been criticized quite a bit. Um, you know, I've even been uh, kind of criticized by uh, conference attendees, uh, even at, you know, at many places, but even at places like uh, Tulsa. You know, I remember one year I had someone come up to me and was quite displeased with the fact that I had, you know, criticized Trump. Well, I mean, that just shows the blindness of people when they, when they assume that, you know, because you're a Republican, you can do no wrong. <laughs> and, uh, but if you're a Democrat, you're utterly evil. They're missing the point. Like you said, do your own research. Uh, and by the way, uh, I had promised in volume one that in volume two, I would address the issue that I get asked, you know, hundreds of times uh, by email and people calling our 1-800 number or just at conferences you know, where, how does Donald Trump fit into all of this? Now, I'm not, you know, on the inside of the Luciferian conspiracy. I don't know how they're using the different pawns in the game, but I give my studied opinion uh, best as I see it in volume two. And it's several pages and I lay out what I think is going on, how he, what happened in 2016, what happened with the pandemic, what's happening today, what's happening with potentially 2024. And, you know, I encourage people to read it and again, doesn't mean I'm right, but it's, it's based on, you know, 15 years of studying this stuff, you know, how I feel like he, he played, you know, played into all this. So, right. Now I think in your, your, your volume one, two, you dealt somewhat with uh, John Kennedy's assassination. Uh, I have used that, that thing on, on John Kennedy, uh, it, it aggravates people, but uh, Trump is a good conversation starter. Donald Trump is a good conversation starter. And I've had, uh, I had a, a, a debate with one of my uh, Baptist brethren about that. I was too, uh, too Trumpster, a Trumpster. I think I was called because I have some respect for the underdog. And so I don't like to see anybody treated bad or unjustly or the Justice Department or the FBI weaponized against anybody. So anyway, in that conversation, I was I was telling of a, a good old Baptist fundamentalist Baptist preacher that told me that he would never have Trump in his pulpit. He would never have Trump teach a Sunday school class but he is still vote for him for president over Hillary Clinton. So <laughs> it, it, it kind of reverses the, the, the thing. So, well, let me, let me just, I know we're wrapping up here, but let me just elaborate on that for one second. Um, I have a section in volume one called the evil of two lessers, where I explain why that principle of the lesser of two evils that people so often appeal to is wrong and unbiblical. Evil is evil. God doesn't call for us to pick the least evil. He picks yeah, us to shun. He calls for us to shun evil. Um, so I don't understand how that preacher would 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 say that. But uh, but you know, just so make sure listeners are clear, I absolutely think that Trump was attacked. That the election was stolen in 2020. It was the most blatant example of election rigging we've ever seen. Uh, he clearly 
One, if we had had a legitimate election, he would have clearly won hands down. Um, but uh, but that, that's beside the point. Uh, you need to understand that the Luciferians are equal opportunity offenders. They don't care whether they steal from the left or the right. They're marching forward with their agenda. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, like you said, you know, Kennedy uh, certainly was not <clears throat> an example of moral uh, purity, <clears throat> but he did a lot of things that the Luciferians didn't like, and that's why they got rid of him. Um, so people need to kind of break free from this left-right paradigm and look at the facts of the matter and then draw, you know, opinions uh, based on that. So Exactly. Good. Well, all right, my brother, I so appreciate you, and I, I appreciate what your ministry has done for me, but I wanted to, I want to give the right, uh, I want to give an audience, I want to see an audience thinking for themselves, and I believe if they will get volume one, and I'm looking forward to reading volume two, and then having you on again, and talk some more about the whole thing that we are approaching in our, our current times. And uh, I'm sure another question you get, and we'll, we'll, we'll ask you maybe a couple of real hard ones after we read volume two. I want to know uh, more about what you think the, the time schedule that we're on. I know we, we can't set days and, and dates, and I know that always comes up uh, on the surface real fast, but we definitely know that this, this, that it seems, at least to anybody that studies scripture, that Satan is, is, is in full armor and fully attacking. And sometimes it seems like he's winning. So we'll, we'll approach some of that. Yeah, we'll get, <clears throat> after you've read volume two, it'd be a great thing to discuss because we have a chapter in here called uh, the Luciferian timetable. This, by the way, this is the proof copy. It's the only copy I have. Our shipment of books are coming in this weekend uh, from the publisher. And then again, they go on sale Monday. So it, the official release date that we set was October 31st. But you never know for sure how quickly the books are going to get here. So we always give us plenty of time. But we're going to start taking orders Monday, this coming Monday, October 24th. Just go to spiritoftheantichrist.org or our website, notbyworks.org. Click on the book and you can order it right there so i encourage people to order it the first orders that come in we're going to start shipping them as they come in so but i yeah there's a whole chapter in here on the luciferian timetable and you're right don we can't set dates but we certainly can do what jesus tells us to do which is look for the signs of the times yes love his appearing all those that love his amen. appearing amen so well thanks so much for having me on and uh it's a it's a privilege to know that there are great ministries like yours out there that are getting the word out uh you know one one listener at a time right exactly <laughs> yes get people to think for themselves in a in a biblical worldview uh will do great benefit for their souls amen. so thank you my brother keep up the good work and thank you for praying for us and helping, helping with our podcast. Pray that the that the the devil will be bound in his attempt 
to cause me to struggle in getting a, a simple podcast up and running. Amen. So thank you for your help and for helping us launch this and being a part of it. Look forward to talking to you soon again. And if we don't see you here, we'll see you there or in the air. Amen. Thanks, Don. God bless. God bless.